I feel such privilege and such blessing to be part of a church that knows the importance of investing in our youth and in our children. I had a glorious time in Alaska on the youth pilgrimage. Been back about a week, exactly. Um, and I'm so grateful to Maggie, our youth minister, for all the work she did on the front end to create the experience and all the work she did to hold this experience and to invite the youth and the grown-ups there into sacred space and sacred time together. There's something really powerful in getting away, in stepping out of the normal rhythm of things, and there's something really powerful when it's intentionally a pilgrimage, when there is intention and purpose and focus on laying our lives before God, and in the case of being in Alaska, before the grandeur of our earth. We followed a rhythm of prayer together, and each evening as we would get together to celebrate Compline, we would circle up and everybody had the opportunity to share a moment of wonder, to reflect on something from that day or from the trip so far. And most days, I found myself sharing some experience of taking in the wonder of the nature. I saw glaciers for the first time, and they look like movement frozen, if that's possible. It looked like rushing water frozen for a moment. We saw such lush green trees. We saw a whale while we were out in kayaks. So amazing to be held by the water and to witness such a magnificent creature who I decided was a she. And my boat partner and I, we decided she was showing off and playing for us as she would splash out of the water and frolic in the waves. Quite remarkable. But since I've been back this past week, and I've caught myself drifting to moments to memories of our time in Alaska, I'm spending less time thinking about all those glorious nature moments, and more time thinking about the people I was with, the conversations we had together, the moments of witnessing youth and grown-ups stretch outside of their comfort zone and be brave and be vulnerable with each other. I'm thinking of some of the truly remarkable insights that I heard from the youth. I'm thinking of some courageous conversations that were had, and I'm thinking of the wisdom and the maturity the youth carried to both be able to speak from their hearts about what was troubling them, weighing down that what was really important to them, and also to make space to hear somebody that had a different perspective, and to stay in relationship with each other, to still be able to laugh and get along together, even while holding conflicting, paradoxical views on only we had a little more of that out and about in our world. The other thing that was truly remarkable to me about this trip was a comment that one of the youth made 
one of our, I think it was our last evening together, they spoke about how much laughter they heard. And I thought, yeah, we, we did. We laughed a lot. Um, there was a group of us from St. John's. We were joined by a group from St. Stephen's and Arinda and Tom Fergoso, who we have relationship with here at St. John's. And then we were joined by another youth group from the Church of the Resurrection and Pleasant Hill and Shannon Ang and her crew. So at the beginning of this week, we didn't all know each other. And very quickly, we started laughing together and enjoying being around each other. And there was a lot of laughter. And this youth expressed how in the day-to-day, at school for many of them, like, you don't really have the safety to let go and laugh. You never really know how somebody is going to see or judge or view you if you offer some levity, some joy. Oh my goodness, I remember aspects of that from middle school and high school. And I know that even as a grown-up, I have fewer and fewer spaces in which to laugh and play. It was a truly beautiful, glorious, sacred experience to be gathered amongst so much laughter and joy. This morning, our gospel lesson is a very familiar one. The story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's almost tricky to talk about it because I feel like there's so much familiarity. There's so many hospitals and other organizations that have taken on the name. We know what this is about. I was listening to some um, great thinkers in the scriptural world, and uh, Caroline Lewis was suggesting that when she approaches a text that everybody is so familiar with, One of the things she likes to do is invite different titles to look at different ways of seeing the story. So we refer to the story as the parable of the Good Samaritan. What's kind of ironic is at no point in the story is the Samaritan called good. The Samaritan is referred to as the one who showed mercy. We know the Samaritan is the one who stepped out and went above and beyond to care for this person who had been beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. How else might you name this story? What other perspectives come to mind for you in this story? One thing um, that occurred to me is we could call it how not to get caught in a trap. Because the religious scholar approaches Jesus, and he's got a legit question. He's going to ask Jesus, so what's the letter of the law? Do you know the laws? And Jesus responds with exactly what the law suggests. And then, and then the religious scholar is like, well, so who is my neighbor? And when I think of the word neighbor, most of the time I think of the people that live on the same street I live in. Maybe I think of the neighbors as the people that live in this Bay Area that we all live in together. I move from this place of me and then kind of ripple out. And Jesus takes the idea of a neighbor, and instead of responding with a definition, he does what he's so good at. He helps us to stretch our understanding. He helps us to expand our perspective, and he does it with a story. You might also call this um, 
how to expand someone's ways of thinking. One thing I thought of too is how to break the rules. When I was a school chaplain, I enjoyed teaching the youth and hearing from their perspectives all the time. And when we'd get to this story, they wouldn't understand why the priest, who's the first person that appears in the parable, and then the Levite, who also has a um, particular religious role in the worshiping life of Judaism. Um, they didn't, it, it rubbed them the wrong way, but these two religious authorities walked past, walked to the other side of the road, and then passed this person. And so I would let them know, I was like, well, there were all these purity laws, and there were all these rules for how you had to be, and if, if you were to approach a dead body, then you couldn't perform your job as a priest or as a like religious professional. And they would all be like, oh, okay, so that's why they didn't stop. And I was always like, I mean, yeah, but was it still, was it okay that they didn't stop? Like, just because they were following one set of rules, isn't Jesus showing us that there's another set of rules? Or maybe that some rules are meant to be broken? Both the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Stephen Baldwin have looked at the story and taught um, about this story. And there's a, a progression of sort of questions of stepping into the story that they offer. And they, they build on each other. And they suggest that the Samaritan person, the non-religious professional, and in terms of how practicing Jews at the time thought, Samaritans were other. They were not part of God's family or the understanding of God's way of living. Martin Luther King Jr. and Stephen Baldwin, been building off of each other, suggest that probably the Samaritan was asking themselves, what will happen to me? I imagine that's also the question that the priest and the Levite were asking themselves, what will happen to me if I help this person? Because there's a potential, they were maybe making themselves vulnerable to being attacked themselves on this dangerous road. But if they did help this person, would that make them somehow unclean and then somehow unable to perform their duties? So the priest and the Levite made their decision and, and set aside their priority. Wonder if the Samaritan actually was thinking, what will happen to him? What will happen to this person that has been left here? What will happen to this person in need if I don't step up and help them? And then Stephen Baldwin takes it back full circle and suggests the Samaritan is thinking, and what will happen to me if I don't help this person? We're all, we're all related. We're all connected. I'm so aware these days of the ways in which we are fractured and broken as humankind, and the ways in which um, the ground is still, I feel like I've said this for years and years, the ground is still uncertain. Um, there are people taking sides right now, and there are people who are talking at each other, but not holding the space to listen to each other. And I feel like there's a deep entrenchment to try to settle into the one way of seeing things. What are, what are the rules by which we are bound? And yet time after time, 
their stories about Jesus, helping to stretch that understanding and helping to expand things. In the lesson from Deuteronomy that we heard a little bit ago, Moses is talking to the people, and he's talking about all these rules, laws, the commandments that were created to help bring the people in alignment with God's way of living. The last line was, the word, these commandments, these laws, they are very near to you. They are in your mouth and in your heart. Like their intention was to be something that was so natural. It's like we would be marinated and steeped in God's way of living, and then we couldn't help but live from that place. And then years down the line, Jesus offers us the story of the Samaritan. And I think of how the ways those rules took hold in a different form for the priest and the Levite. I wonder, were the, were, was the word very near them in their mouth and in their heart? Life is complicated. It's not always safe to step out and to help the person who has been left for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus invites us to show mercy. In the same way that I am realizing I'm remembering the stories and the actions that we had in Alaska, that was I witnessed with and among the youth, this parable is about the actions and the words of the one who showed mercy. I want to finish today and offer a quote that I've offered before here in this space, but it's something that I return to over and over again. This was written by Ursula Wolf Roca. She says, It can be overwhelming to witness, experience, take in all of the injustices of the moment. The good news is that they're all connected. So if your little corner of work involves pulling at one of the threads, you're helping to unravel the whole cloth.